right, Exodus chapter 5, and uh, we're going to read the whole chapter together this morning, uh, starting in verse 1. It says here, Afterward Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? Let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to uh, get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land uh, are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmakers of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not, uh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves. Wherever you go, find it or wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather a stubble for straw. The taskmakers were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task, each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people uh, of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters uh, had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them, as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the eye in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to his people, uh, to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to his people, and you have not delivered your people at all. And that is the word of the Lord. As we said last week, the theme that runs through the book of Exodus is God's sovereign rule. We've seen it present um, in the first four chapters. We're going to see it again today. Um, we saw that God introduced himself as I am who I am. Just the name of God alone 
uh, proclaims that no one nor anything can change his nature or his will. No one can change that. Um, no one can change God uh, he, because he is all powerful and, and, and he doesn't react to things. Rather, he decrees them. Uh, we saw his sovereignty in using Moses. And when we look at Moses as a man, we see him. He is a man who is down and out on life. Uh, he is a man who is forsaken and he is hiding in the desert. He's the least or the last person you would think that God would use. And God in his sovereignty chose Moses to use him to be his instrument to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And just in that act alone, we see his sovereignty. We also see his sovereignty evident in the miracles that God gives to Moses to convince the Israelites to listen to him. These awesome miracles um, that that are just so powerful in nature. He gives them to Moses and said, here, use these to convince the people. And today we begin to get into the Exodus and we're going to see how amazing it is to see the fulfillment of God's detailed plan as he saves the Israelites. God gives Moses a detailed plan of how he's going to do it. It's one thing to have a plan and say, this is what I'm going to do. It's another thing for it to come to pass just as you said it. And we see God's sovereignty in, in the revealing and also the fulfillment of the plan that he gives to Moses. You see, by the power of his will, God has declared the end from the beginning. That's what we talked about last week. God already has it declared. He has decreed it. That means that God is in the driver's seat. It also means that God has decreed in himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of his will, freely and unchangeably all things. He has decreed all things whatsoever comes to pass. And from a practical standpoint, it means that God not only knows about your situation, but that he has you there for a reason. There is a purpose to it. And it doesn't matter if it's good, bad, or ugly. It is his plan. And you are in the middle of his plan. He is working things out. So here's the question for today. So if God is sovereign and no one nor anything can deter his will, then what does it mean when Christians suffer under the rule of a sovereign God? That's the question we want to answer today. If God is sovereign and no one nor anything can deter his will, then what does it mean when Christians suffer under the rule of a sovereign God? Does it, does it mean that he's a cruel God? No, it does not mean that. Does it mean that he doesn't care? As Paul would say, by no means. It doesn't mean that. Here's our sermon summary. This is what it means. In life, good, bad, and ugly things happen. But God, according to his will, works all things out for good. In life, good, bad, and ugly things happen. But God, according to his will, works out all things for good. So as we look at the Bible and we talk about long suffering, um, what does it mean to suffer? First of all, to suffer is to feel or to undergo pain or anguish, and that could be of body or mind. Uh, basically, what it means is to, to bear with something that is very inconvenient, um, something that is very painful, like sickness or sorrow. 
And when we look at suffering and try to determine where it comes from, how did it start? Well, suffering is a condition produced by a fallen world. Uh, And we see that from the very beginning. You see, because suffering did not start until sin entered the world. When sin entered the world, suffering became a part of life on earth. And this is seen as soon as uh, in the fall, right after the fall, we see Adam and Eve. They suffered Uh, They suffered physical separation for the presence of God as soon as they sinned. Then soon after, we see that man suffered physical death after being cast out of the garden. They did not have access to the tree of life. So then, therefore, men knew what death was. Uh, We see Abel, who suffered being murdered by his own brother. And then we also, as, as the story of, of mankind continued, we see the people of Noah's day, they suffered death by flood because of their sin. And we can follow that all the way down from Genesis even to current day today. You see, and that's because the world and its inhabitants have followed that same pattern of suffering. And that's why we deal with it today. That's why we have such a great hope that when Christ comes back to glorify our bodies, that we do not have to suffer any longer. That's one of the the biggest promises in the Bible, that God will make all things new. and There will be no more pain. There will be no more tears. There will be no more suffering. But rather, there will be perfect fellowship between us and God. See, that's, that's what we're looking forward to. And it's a wonderful thing to look forward to, But sometimes we forget about that hope that we have and we get preoccupied in today. And sometimes today is difficult. Cannot forget about tomorrow. We have to continue to think about tomorrow as we go through today. And when I talk about the world and and its inhabitants, how they follow the same pattern, we see Paul talk about this in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, verses 19 through 23, Paul says this. He says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Now, we're going back to the very beginning in the garden. He's talking about uh, Adam and Eve and how they fell in sin. And once they fell in sin, then suffering entered the world. Um, In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together. You ever wake up in the morning? When you're younger, you used to spring out of bed, right? Ready to go. Now when you wake up, it's, you give a couple of groans before you get going. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. As time goes on, creation grows tired, and it groans together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemptions of our bodies. So we have this pattern that we're following, and this pattern involves uh, suffering, it involves pain, it involves inconveniences, it involves not being comfortable in our own skin sometimes. It involves heartache, sorrow, all those things all lumped together. Um, it involves that. And it's a big part of life. We, we cannot deny that. 
We cannot say that, oh, suffering is no big deal. We only deal with it once in a while. We deal with it every single day in one way or another. You ever thought that you suffer a lot and then you meet somebody else and you realize you really haven't suffered that much? Because we always think, oh, my own sorrow, my own suffering, I, I have gone through so much. And then we hear testimony of our brother and sister and we're like, wow, I'm not going to talk about my suffering anymore. See, we, it, it touches everybody. It's a part of all of our lives. And today in our passage, we can learn a great lesson about suffering under God's sovereign rule. We can learn a great lesson because we are in our text today, we are seeing the continual suffering of the nation of Israel. And yet we keep on saying that God is sovereign. So how can it be? Is it a paradox? How can it be that that God is sovereign and yet his people suffer? We see it in scripture throughout the whole Bible. We see it and then we experience it today. We proclaim God is sovereign. So then why do we suffer? You know, that has caused many people to walk away from their faith. They think that they are told that if they come to God, that everything in their life will be fixed and and they won't have to deal with suffering anymore. Everything's going to fall in line. Everything's going to be great. And that sounds wonderful. And that does happen eventually. But it is not meant to happen here. And people listen to that and they, they, they get in line to follow a God that will give them everything they want in this life. I mean, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't fall in line with that? So they fall in line, and then all of a sudden they find out that, no, their life isn't put together here on earth. That there is suffering. And they walk away. They walk away because they believed in something that was not true. But we have to understand that even though we suffer today, it's not that God is being cruel. It's not that God has forgotten us. It's not that but rather there is a point to our suffering. If it's a week or if it's year after year after year, God is faithful. He is faithful and and, and we have to understand that and we can can see that here in our passage in Exodus chapter 5, how faithful he is. We see Israel's persecution increase. It actually increases as they are obedient to God. And you, it just makes you scratch your head sometimes. When people come in for counseling and they have marital issues or they have issues with their kids, one of the things I tell them all the time, because it seems to always work out that way, is that I'm glad you came in. Let's talk about the situation. We go through the Bible. We talk about it. I, I pray it's edifying counsel that, that is given. But at the very end, I say, get ready, because it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. It just it just works out that way. It just works out that way where it gets worse before it gets better, because the last thing I want people to do is to leave my office and say, wow, that's great. Pastor gave us some good advice. And then they go implement it and it gets worse and they come back to me and they're like, what did you do to us? That's kind of what's happening here, right? God gave them a message. He gave them a message to deliver. They delivered it and then they come back to God and they're like, why? Why did you tell us to do this? It's gotten worse. But it seems to be always that way that it gets worse before it gets better. And and I it makes sense why it's that way. Because our relationship with God requires faith. 
It requires faith. We, we, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And in order for us to learn to trust God, we have to undergo some things that are above us, beyond our control. Some things that make us uncomfortable. Because he is our only comfort. You see, Moses did as God commanded him. He told Pharaoh to let his people go. But they received an unfavorable response from Pharaoh. In fact, if we look at verse 2, chapter 5, verse 2, Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? That, that's pretty bold there, right? And he's being honest to this point. He doesn't know who he's being introduced to. He doesn't recognize the name Yahweh. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel, grow, let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. You see, I like the way the commentary that I'm reading is, is from uh, uh, Douglas Stewart. And Douglas Stewart says that Pharaoh, he started out not knowing who Yahweh was in the sense of not recognizing the name Yahweh. Then thereafter, he obviously recognized the name, but did not realize who Yahweh really was. And then finally, before it was all over, he knew very well who Yahweh was and was sorry that he ever had to find out the hard way. So we see the response of the king of Egypt. He says, who is the Lord? Why? I'm the king. You don't answer to him, you answer to me, and my word is final, and it doesn't matter what the Lord has told you, I'm telling you, I'm not going to let you go. You see, in ignorance, Pharaoh does not respect the demands of Yahweh, and he ends up making things harder for the Israelites. In verses 6 through 8, we see that the same day, this wasn't like a week later, you see how how agitated Pharaoh is about this whole thing and how, how much he wants to solidify his rule. That same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmakers of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. But now you need to let them go and gather straw for themselves. So even though they were reduced to this type of work and it was very hard work, they were at least given materials and that material was easily accessible to them to be able to go and make uh, to, to make this pitch that they were making. And now they have taken the, the, the straw away and now they have to go and gather it for themselves. But they may by no means reduce the amount of bricks they were making. They have to continue to make the same amount of bricks. So in other words, now they have more work to do and uh, but they still are expected to put out the same uh, result as they did before. And then we see in verses 20 to 21, we see how the people respond. And it's not very good. After they talk to Pharaoh, I want you to notice in their conversation with Pharaoh, they, they talk to Pharaoh and they recognize Pharaoh's word as the last word. And based on what Pharaoh said, their attitude was adjusted. Listen here. They met Moses and Aaron after they met with Pharaoh and Pharaoh told them the bad news. They met with Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord, look on you and judge. Now, those are pretty harsh words. May not sound like it, but they, they basically they have this bad news and they came out and they're blaming Moses. And they're blaming God for their current condition. The Lord look on you 
and judge. Because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. In other words, we've met with Pharaoh and we are basically doomed. He is basically going to end us. He was hard on us before, but now he is being harder on us than he's ever been in the past. You have given him, Moses, you have given him a sword. You have given him a weapon. You have given him something to motivate him to persecute us even more. And then we see in verses 22 to 23, the reaction. And we see how the Lord answers their objections. And that includes Moses. Look at Moses. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? And look at this. Maybe you've asked yourself this question before. Why did you ever send me? You ever had that happen? You ever, in the middle of your trouble, ever say, Lord, why did you ever call me to do this? If, if no one wants to be honest, I'll be honest right here, right? I, I, the last 10 years, that seems to be a question that's asked a lot of the Lord for me. Why did you ever call me? Some tough times. Why did you ever call me to do this? How about this? Lord, why did you ever create me? You ever been so low where you're asking the Lord, why? Why did you ever even do this to me? In, in the Bible, the psalmist says, Lord, why did you bring me forth? Why did you create me? You see, sometimes when we are in great pain, we begin to ask these questions. And really, when you look back at these questions, they're kind of silly. Because we know the answer. Why? But we get so focused in on our issue, our problem, that, that it, just, it comes out. It comes out naturally. We're being selfish about our situation. And, and we're, we're having, as I like to say, a little pity party. And, and Moses looks up and he says, why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. First of all, outside looking in, I'm like, Moses, you just got started, man. Like he's just like his response is so far. You, you, nothing good has happened. He's done only evil and you have not delivered your people at all. This was after the first try. But you see, we get, we get like that too as well. We, we go and we do something we know it is, it is good and it is what the Lord expects of us and it's what the Lord wants us to do and it doesn't work out the way we want to and we want to give up. Many Christians live their lives that way and they get nowhere. They have not grown one bit. Because they get into something, it gets difficult, and they say, oh, this is not what God's calling me to no, the Lord doesn't want me to do something that's hard. He wants me to do something else, so I'm going to find something else. They get into that, and see, I knew this was great because the Lord's opening doors. We like the Lord opening doors, right? The Lord's opening doors. I'm walking through them. Everything's going great, and then all of a sudden, this gets hard. Oh, that means the Lord's closing this door. It's time for me to find another door. But when we look at the Bible, when we look at the people of the Bible, 
especially even going to the New Testament, we see that the apostles, they didn't move from one thing to another to one thing to another and look for the easy thing. They just did what they were called to do. If it was difficult or not, they did it. And they didn't do it perfectly because we see their struggles in the Bible. We see the pain they went through, the anguish, the prayers, the heartache. We see all that. But yet they continued to do what they were called to do. See, a lot of times what we are called to do, does, it makes no sense. Not to us. And the reason why it doesn't make sense to us is because we don't know the end from the beginning. All we know is what we're going through right now. And as you see here in chapter 5, of Exodus chapter 5, we see the Israelites the same way. They can't see the end from the beginning. They haven't decreed all things. So as soon as it starts getting hard, and I'm not taking anything away from them, it was very, very hard, probably harder than anything we've had to deal with in a physical sense, maybe even emotional. But as soon as things got worse and it looked like it was going to spiral out of control, their response was negative towards God, and they blamed God for their situation. Instead of praying for his help, Trusting in his power. It's very easy for us to look back and say, I wouldn't have done that. But yet we do it every day. We do it every day and it's not something that we should do. See, there's one thing that we have to recognize. And it's the same thing that they had to recognize. And the, this is, it's the fact that God had already won the battle. He had already won. Before he even called Moses to go, he told Moses, you're going to come back and worship me on this mountain. It was a promise. It was solidified. God had already decreed it. It wasn't that he just knew it. He had decreed it that you're going to come back. You're going to worship me on this mountain. And yet when it's happening, Moses forgets about that. Obviously, he forgets about that, or else why would he question, why have, you, why have you sent me? See, the Lord had already won the battle. It was just being worked out to fulfillment. And even though things got tough, it didn't mean that the Lord wasn't in control. I think that's the great lesson that we have to learn from this story today, is that God doesn't always or doesn't only call us to those things that are easy, but rather he calls us to things that are beyond our control. He calls us to things that are beyond our limits so that we can look up at him instead of trusting in ourselves. People always say, and I think and I, and I try to do my best to correct it when I hear it, but People always say that God won't give you anything you can't handle. If that's the truth, that's not the kind of God I want to serve. You see, God, everything that comes our way, we cannot handle it without God. For apart from him, we can do nothing, the Bible says. So it's okay to go through tough times. It's okay to go through suffering. It's okay to go through sorrow. It's okay to go through those things. 
Not the fact that we get excited about it and we start celebrating the fact that we are in the midst of the hardest time of our lives, but it's okay for us to go through those things because it is those things that makes us look up. It makes us look up. It also makes us realize that we are not in control, that we are not in the driver's seat, that someone else is in that position. So when we look and when things get tough, we need to realize that God is still in control. And the fact that things get tough doesn't mean that he's not in control. It just means that it's not going to be easy. But as we look at life, nothing worth having is easy. You see, this whole story, as we're looking at Exodus 5, it should sound very familiar for us here today. There's some things that you have to notice, and if you haven't noticed it, it should be easy for us to relate to the story, the Exodus story. It's similar to what we are going through now. Right? We, we, are, we are waiting. We are waiting to be renewed. We are waiting on our Lord and Savior to come and deliver us. And as the Israelites were waiting for a savior, for someone to lead them out, to free them from the, uh, the Egyptians and lead them out, as they were waiting, they suffered. All kinds of just crazy things. And we, as a people, are waiting for our savior to come. And in the same way, we suffer through all kinds of of crazy things. You see, in this life, it is true that we have trouble, but we always have to remember what the Lord said. He said, take heart, I have overcome the world. When it comes to our lives, I think that's a hard, that's a hard bridge to gap. It's easy to see here in Exodus 5, these people should have done this. We can say that very easily. When we look at people, the, the, the lives of people in the Bible, this is what they should have done. But when it comes to ourselves, we must remember that as with the Israelites, the Lord has already won the battle. The Lord is in control. And we... We as his people just need to let things work out to their fulfillment. We need to just stop, be silent, trust in the Lord, pray for hope, pray for courage, pray for strength, and encourage each other as we live this life. That's a whole lot easier said than done. I like the fact that we keep on talking about God's sovereignty. In fact, I don't see how people come to the conclusion that he is not sovereign because it's in every page of the Bible. But as we, as we look at his sovereignty, it answers so many different questions. The one thing it does for me 
is that when, when the day I recognize God's sovereignty, everything makes sense at that point. And that's kind of funny how, that, how it happens that way, but everything makes sense to me, even suffering, because I understood that if I serve a sovereign God and things are happening the way they are, there must be a definite purpose for it. It may be beyond me, it may be beyond me, I may not understand it, but yet if someone is in complete control, there is a definite purpose behind it all. makes complete sense and as we see it as we see his sovereignty unfold in scripture we can see that definite plan being worked out you see when we look at the Israelites the good that was supposed to be produced from their suffering was for the Israelites to know that the Lord was God it was for them to come to know the powerful might of the God they served but they're not here yet. I want you to notice how they respond to Pharaoh. They respond to Pharaoh as though he is God. Pharaoh tells them this is the way it's going to happen, and their hearts are just defeated. Why? Because that's the way it's been for so long. They've been answering to Pharaoh this whole time. Anything he says goes. So then, therefore, he has become their God. And even to this point, where they show some faith and they, they believe what Moses said, that he spoke to God and God is going to carry them out of Egypt. Even to this point, even here at this point in their lives, they get a little confidence. They get in front of Pharaoh and then all of a sudden it just comes crashing down. After Pharaoh says, you're not going. In fact, it's going to get harder for you. But little did they know that God this whole time is allowing Pharaoh to seem indestructible to the Israelites. Why? Because the Lord's going to show his great power, his great power over Pharaoh. You see, the Lord will put his heavy hand on Pharaoh and destroy him. The one who looked undestructible, the Lord will destroy. And when they, when we finally get there, down in the future, when they walk out of Egypt, they will see, they will know who the Lord is. Let me ask you something this morning. What struggle in your life is God showing you that he is the Lord? What struggle in your life is God using to help you realize that he is the Lord? When we talk about long-suffering, there's a difference between suffering and long-suffering. It's pretty obvious. Long-suffering is something that you've dealt with over time, a long time. It's just constantly there. Something that doesn't leave you, something that for some reason or another you haven't gotten rid of, something you can't shake. And when we go through these things, it makes us question our faith, our standing with God, our relationship with God. It makes us question a lot of different things. Even Paul says, Lord, you have given me a thorn on my side. There was a purpose to that thorn, right? So that I, I can remember who I serve. 
The same is true for us. And I want to ask that question again. What struggle in your life is God using to show that he is your Lord? Is it sickness? Is it heartache? Is it anxiety? I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He said that the storm, the storm you face has a bit in its mouth. You see, whatever storm, whatever storm you face, whatever storm that you are going through, whatever storm that you see that is more powerful than anything else, you need to know that that storm has a bit in its mouth. And when I say it has a bit in its mouth, it's like a horse that's being controlled by someone who is greater. And when it is made personal, we must know that the storms that we face in life, God has brought it or he has permitted it. And the reason behind that is so that you will know that he is Lord of your life. We make the great mistake Like the Israelites, the mistake they made, we make the same mistake where we begin to think that the storm is our God instead of the God who's allowing it to be in our lives. And you know why why I say that? I say that because that one thing or however many it is, that sickness we can't shake, we we have faith and we're like, yeah, you know, this is going great. You know, God's going to see me through this. No matter what happens, I'm going to trust him. I'm just going to believe that, 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 you know, he's in control and whatever happens, I'm just trusting in the Lord. You go in for an appointment, you have a bad appointment, you come out and it's like I can't, can't win. I can't shake it. This thing is going to end everything about me. I don't feel like worshiping God because I got a bad report. It could be a marriage. It could be a marriage relationship where it's just year after year after year after year just struggle. And that marriage relationship, the difficulty in that marriage relationship has become your God because it is what guides you. It guides your your attitude towards one another. It guides your disposition. It guides your finances. It guides everything instead of the Lord who should be guiding everything. Maybe it's a wayward child. A child that just does not want to listen is continually rebellious to everything and has destroyed your family relationships. Maybe that has become your God in a sense because that is what directs your attitudes. That is what directs your attention. You see, the storm in your life, it points you to your need of God. It should not become your God. We need to remember that whatever storm it is that we face, it has a bit in its mouth. It's being controlled by someone who is greater. We must not get it twisted. Your storm is not your God. You worship Yahweh. There is no one greater than he. So what does this mean for us here today? In the light of suffering, Christians must remember this, that number one, God is holy. He doesn't make mistakes. 
doesn't make mistakes. Even when things are bad, it's not that God messed up. He is holy. He is pure. And he also is omnipotent. It means he is all-powerful. You see, he has decreed all things and is in control of all things. Not only that, but Christians also have to remember that he is omniscient. Because he has decreed all things, he knows exactly what he is doing. And he knows when to do it. Even if you think you know better, he knows exactly what he's doing and when to do it. And this is the one that I'm grateful for. We need to remember that God is faithful. So he's holy, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, and he is faithful. Even when we are not. Sometimes we cry about what we don't have and we forget we realize we don't deserve anything we have. We deserve a whole lot worse than what we get. He is completely faithful. Now, as we think about these four things, that he's holy, omnipotent, omniscient, and faithful, they should point us to something that's, uh, that's important for us to remember as Christians. First of all, Pastor Laramie talked about this, in fact, before we got into our sermon, that our current suffering, it pales in comparison to our future glory in Christ Jesus. You see, what we face now, it's temporary which means it's fading, but what God has in store for us in the next life is everlasting. The Christian must trust God that this is true. We must. We must have faith that this is true. Because no matter how bad it gets here, we must Remember what our Lord has in store for us that is everlasting. We must trust God that it is true. And once we get there and trust God that it is true, no matter what we go through, we have to hold on to that for dear life. You see, we must remember that forever, that thing which is everlasting that God has in store for us, that comes later. Not today, that comes later. It's, it's funny because we finally, we're, we're praising the Lord. We, we finally got into our house. It's been a nine-month experience just to get into the house. And we finally got into the house, and, you know, we've, the Lord has blessed us. We have saved. We have worked hard. And we finally got into this house that, 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 that we dreamed about and that we worked for. And in my mind, I've been looking forward to get into this house, and so has my whole family. We've been looking forward to it. But, you know, when I pictured getting into this house, I pictured everything, like, nice and prepared for me. Yeah. I pictured everything. When I, when I pictured myself in this house, this is day one. When I pictured myself in this house, all the furniture was arranged. My clothes was put up. Somehow it was just put up very nicely. All the stuff on the walls was just the way I needed it to be. Everything was just bliss. And I kept on thinking that 
for some reason that that was the way it was going to be. That I was just going to move in, everything was going to be ready to go, and we're going to sit back. And I even thought, man, we're going to have the church over to celebrate with us probably a week after we move in. It's going to be great. I, I want our people to come over here and just, just, I just want to praise the Lord for his blessings. And yeah, I thought that was going to take a week, uh, you know, maybe even two weeks. No problem. It is not what I envisioned. I mean, I'm having trouble getting clothes on Sunday morning, trying to find clothes. We're, we're unpacking things very slowly. It's very hard. It's very difficult. One thing after another, you get rid of one pile, another pile appears. And it's just, it's just crazy. It's chaos. It's difficult. And Alicia and I, we look at each other and we're exhausted and we're just like, we're working hard, but yet we're barely starting to see the fruit of our labor. And as I was thinking about this sermon, I thought about that's how we approach life. We look forward to heaven and how everything's supposed to be blissful and nice and set apart for us. And we forget that we're here now. There's a lot of work to do. Just like in our house, there's a lot of work to do. It's very difficult. It's every day. There's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of work to do here now. We're not there yet. We will get there. God has placed that in our hearts. He has given us hope. But he has not said, hey, while you're here on earth, just take it easy. You're not going to find that in the Bible. He has told us what we need to do. He has told us that we will have trouble. But he has also told us that he has, he has overcome that trouble. Christians, brothers, sisters, we need to exercise our faith. We need to be more obedient in doing that. We need to run to the word of God when we, whenever we have anxiety, fear, sorrow, pain. We need edification from our brothers and sisters. We need, we need all the things that God has provided for us to remember that we serve Yahweh, that we serve the Lord. And no one Nothing can change that. We serve an awesome God who is there for us every single day of our lives, especially in the dark times. We need to recognize that. And if you see your brother or sister struggling with something, remind them of that. Especially if it's me, please remind me of that. Remind me that I serve an awesome God. And what I'm going through today, it's temporary. But yet I have work to do. Let us pray.